study of Ecclesiastes this morning. We're going to be right at the end of chapter 4. Chapter 4, starting in verse 13, and we'll go right to the end, uh, 13 to 16. And we're going to talk about success. Now, when I say success, how do you define that? How do you measure that? How do you measure success? Because in our world, in a worldly way, the way it's the way success is measured is more, right? More stuff, more money, more power, more influence, more stuff. That's how our world defines success. But is that the right definition? Is that the way God sees success? Is that the right measure for success? Climbing to the top of the ladder and having more. Because that's how our world defines Success. That's how our world measures success. You are successful if you have more stuff than I have, right? That's success. Too often in our society, that's exactly how it's defined. And Solomon's already told us about climbing to the top of the ladder and finding out there's nothing there. There's literally nothing there. You climb and scratch and, and step over people and, and get to the top, and then you find out there's nothing there. Um, Charles Swindoll wrote a book called Living on the Ragged Edge, Coming to Terms with Reality. And the eighth chapter is titled The Lonely Wine of the Top Dog. Now, I thought that was appropriately named because that's, that's literally what Solomon has told us and what we know to be true, that uh, getting to the top, is, it's a lonely place up there. There's nothing there, and there's no one there. And so that can't be how success is measured. It can't be. It doesn't work. So the preacher, Solomon, is going to talk to us about success today. And he's going to talk to us about how we measure success today. And so I want you to think about the world's view of success and Solomon's view. Jesus' view of success. What did Jesus say in our, in our uh, memory verse this week? The greatest will be the servant. That's how Jesus defines success. Let's see what Solomon has to say about it. So in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 13, it will be up here behind me. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, uh, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. So this is, this is how the preacher gives us, the preacher Solomon gives us success. And, it, and he starts out kind of with a proverb, doesn't he? The poor youth versus the old wise king or the old foolish king. Now, why is this king foolish? He tells us because he will no longer take advice from anyone. That's one of the problems with success as defined by our world is we get to the top 
and we no longer want, we think we got here, we don't need anybody's help to stay here. I worked my way to this, so this is the only way, this is the only path to get here, and I don't need anybody's help to stay. And that, in, in that moment, we become a fool. In that very moment, we, we become foolish. Because we've already seen, remember, put these back in context. We talked last week about how God literally designed us for fellowship. A relational God made us relational. And so we are designed for fellowship. We are designed for accountability. And we need that in our lives. And so this, this king becomes foolish because he figures he's above needing fellowship and accountability. And as soon as we get there, and, it, and quite frankly, it doesn't matter if you're, you consider yourself at the top of the ladder or somewhere in the middle. If you get to the point where you figure you no longer need fellowship and accountability, you've become a fool. Because success wrecks you. Success wrecks further success, as a matter of fact. So then we see that the fool is replaced by somebody else. We have somebody unexpected, a youth that comes up from humble beginnings, went from prison to, to uh, though he was born poor in his kingdom. We, we see this, this unexpected guy. And, and you know, as you read this, the, the coming from prison to king, we read this story and we think, you know, there's some, there's some actual biblical examples of that. Joseph's one, right? Joseph went from slave to prisoner to one of the leaders in Egypt. We can also see this kind of prophetically in Jesus, can't we? Because Jesus went from prison to the criminal's cross to being king of kings and lord of lords. And there literally is, as it says there, no end to the people that he that 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 follow him. So so we can see this that way, but I don't think that's why it's here. I think it's here to shock our conscience, to, for us to look at this old king that's become a fool and this young guy who, by the world standards, doesn't belong here, doesn't, hasn't deserved, hasn't worked his way, and now is king in place of the old fool. See, what we're, what we're kind of given here is this endless endless uh, uh, chain of people replacing because then we have that youth replaced by another youth and and it, it depends on I exactly which english translation you're using because some uh, different english translations understand this different ways he, the, the hebrew word for second or second one next one is is in this verse and so some take that as another youth replacing the first youth. And some take that as the youth is the second from the, from the old fool king. Either way, though, it doesn't matter because what we have is just this endless chain of people coming to power and then losing power. And they come to power to cheering crowds, roaring, and then they go, then they become fools or they simply go away and replaced by somebody else. Think about this. Uh, Oliver Cromwell became king in, uh, in England. He took over for Charles I, and the crowds were screaming and yelling and, and shouting for him to take over as king. And he leaned over to a friend before he took the throne, 
and said, Do not trust the cheering, for these people would shout just as much if I was about to be hanged. He understood that the popularity you start out with isn't the popularity you end out end up with. You don't end where you start. You may come into power to the cheering crowds, but then you're replaced by a fool or you're replaced by, by someone who hasn't earned their way there. Think about our election system. We have a great political system in this country, although it's, it certainly is broken right now. But no matter what, if you think about it, we, we hear for two years of campaign, we hear how good somebody's going to be. And then they get in power, and, then, and they have cheering crowds, and they have everybody behind them. And then within two years, they've got to be elected again. Because two years out, they're starting their campaign on why they should stay in office, and somebody else is saying all the bad things they've done. This is our political system. It works for a couple of years. The, the popularity, the influence, the power you start out with is not where you end up. Success breeds failure. Success kills further success when you define it by the world standard. Because the world standards, again, our problem in our American system, two years in, we, we all just want more, right? We want more programs, more help, more. We just want more. And that's success as we define it in our culture. More. More money, more help, more programs, more stuff, more power, more influence. We define success as more. How does Solomon see success? Solomon sees, Solomon, as he looks around, he sees some important lessons from God. We have kind of made our way through. We're at the end of chapter 4. At the beginning of chapter 3, we saw that he looked, he looked it up and saw that God controlled the time of things, times and seasons. Then he looked within, in, in the second part of chapter 3, he looked within and found that we have a God-shaped hole in each of us a God-shaped space that only God can fill. And when we try and fill it with anything else, it doesn't work. When we try and fill it with success, when we try and fill it by climbing the, the ladder, when we try and fill it with more stuff, it doesn't fill. Only God can fill the space he's put in us. He's put eternity in our hearts. Then all the way through this, from chapter 1 to, to where we are now, he sees the great equalizer as death. Because all of your pursuits in, 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 in pursuing more die with you. Even if you gather it all up, you can't take it. So you leave it to somebody who hasn't earned it. He's told us that. He's told us that death is the great equalizer and that it, it frankly makes life tough to understand. And then at the beginning of chapter 4 here, he said, he, he's, and, and really through what we've seen to this point, he has, he has told us that life is complex. It's hard. It's got a lot of problems. It's discouraging sometimes. Life is, is difficult. And so Solomon says there's got to be more to it than this, right? There's got to be more than just more to success. So how does Jesus define success? 
Jesus is probably the perfect example of success. Is there anyone in history that's had more impact on more people? No. He has had the most impact on the most people in history. He still impacts us this morning at 1120. He is still impacting us. Jesus has, is the perfect example of impact. And how did he do it? He, came, he went from the glory of heaven to this ball of dust, the third rock from the sun, and died in our place, died for us. Not because we deserved it, not because we earned it, but because of his greatness, because he chose to do so, because he chose to serve. And that's why he literally told us in Matthew 23, 11, our, our weekly verse this week, the greatest among you will be your servant. You want a life that matters. You want success as God defines it, serve. Serve God, serve others. That's a life that's successful. That's how God defines success. And that will have more of an impact than your piles of stuff in your garage that your, your kids have to go through after your death. This is success that lasts. We remember Solomon at the end of this in, in chapter 12, verse 13. He says, the end of the matter when all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. This is success that cannot be taken away from you. This is success. Fear God, keep his commandments. Love God, serve others. That's a life of success. That's how God defines success. So how do you define success? How do you define success? Have you bought into the world's argument that success is more? Success isn't more. God's view of success is greatness in you. Greatness in you because you become great when you serve. You, you become great when you serve others. When you serve God by serving others, you have greatness within you. That's God's view of success. What's your measure? Are you viewing success as more? Or are you viewing success as greatness within you from God? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and consider the question. Because there's no more important question than this one. Do you know Christ? Do you know that he came and died in your place? Do you know that he came to serve you? And that his death is your life? Because you can this morning. You can, you can simply surrender to him this morning. You can simply surrender and say, God, I know I have sin in my life. I've done things wrong. I've said things wrong. I've thought things wrong. And I know the Bible calls that sin. But I believe that Jesus came and died in my place on that cross. He came to serve me. So I ask you to forgive me because of his finished work on the cross. And I ask you to come into my life and show me serving you by serving others. If you prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, you need to let somebody know. Come and let me know. 
Maybe this morning you understand for the first time perhaps that true success is serving. It's how Jesus defined it. It's how Jesus was an example for us. Can you commit just between you and God that you will serve him by serving others so that you can have success in business? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for your measure of success. It isn't about more. It's about true greatness within us by serving as Jesus served. Keep us mindful of that. In Jesus' name.